Wow. Thank you, choir and orchestra. <laughs> Thank you, musicians. What a wonderful, wonderful service so far. I love Easter. I'm so glad that I um, got to be here. I actually wasn't sure I was going to make it. We had some sickness in our house this weekend, and I was worried I was going to get it. And I, I texted Trey, our, our minister of uh, youth and, and college, and said, you, you need to be ready. You need to be ready, because I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to you know, be able to come. And I, I texted Richard that too. And I was just so sure I was going to be sick. And Richard said, you got to be, this is an April Fool's joke, right? This is, there's no way this is true. And I said, no, it's, it's true. Yeah. And uh, Trey came in today smiling and said, I'm glad you're feeling better and that everything's okay. Not just sickness, but the stomach bug, of course, which is the worst when you have three small children. So we're all good. And the Lord has delivered us. And here we are on Easter Sunday, the holiest day of the year for us as God's people. Today we're reminded of the truth that we need to hear, that Christ is risen indeed, that death is not the end, that death doesn't have the final word, that God's power has triumphed over the forces of sin and of death and, and darkness. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians that if the resurrection of Christ has not happened, then our faith is futile. If Christ has not been raised, then our faith is futile. You know what futile means? It means it's worthless. It's in vain. It has no point. For us as Christians, though, we celebrate that today our faith is guaranteed, that we are not April fools, but that we have a risen Savior, and that is what changes everything. It's the perfect day to start a new series on worship. So for the next five months, our church is going to be exploring these five key purposes in the New Testament of the church. We see in the Bible that the church has these certain things that we are to be about, that we are to be doing. And the first one is worship. And that's because it's the foundational purpose of the church. Richard and I were talking this week, and he said, you know, uh, if we get worship right, the other purposes of the church will fall into place. And he's absolutely right. Worship is the key purpose to the whole deal of church. So all month long, we're going to be looking at what it means for us as God's people, God's family, to gather together and to worship, to lift high the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. So next week, like I said, Richard's going to be preaching, and I'm going to be doing the music. And, you know, I've told people that we're switching next week, and people always go, oh, my. And I, I don't think it's because Richard's preaching. I think it's because I'm doing the music. So <laughs> I, I'm going to need some help next week, okay? So you guys sing loud next week. It's going to be a little bit like going back to youth camp. I'm going to have my acoustic guitar and little band, and it's going to be a, a wonderful time of worship, I'm sure. But today, we're going to celebrate the glorious resurrection of Jesus as the basis for all Christian worship. We're going to go right to the source, to the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. So if you'll stand with me if you're able to this morning in honor of God's Word. As I read the Easter story from the Gospel according to Luke. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, 
two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This is such an amazing moment, not just in the story of the Bible, but in the history of everything ever. It's, it's the climax of the climax of the story of all things. It's the most important moment in history, before all time and after time, the resurrection of Christ stands as the most significant event to ever happen. It's the, the zenith of God's plan to redeem all things back unto himself. It's the the turning point in the story. Like any good climax, it's the point after which nothing else will ever be the same again. You can never go back. Death has now been defeated forever. The power of the grave has been broken permanently, irreversibly. God has emerged victorious. From this point on, sin and darkness and death are all in full retreat. They're all shrinking back into a corner while the gospel of God's victory advances. Praise God. It reminds me of that great scene in the final book of the Lord of the Rings when Gandalf, the powerful and and wise wizard who had fallen back in the mines of Moria into shadow, returns as Gandalf the White. He surprises his friends in the forest, and and one of the the little hobbits, Sam, says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? And Gandalf says, a great shadow has departed. And then he laughed, and the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the sound of pure merriment for days upon days without count. Isn't that great? I imagine the women at the tomb feeling like Sam in this scene. We thought he was dead. We thought we were dead back again in our sins and trespasses without hope, with our Messiah dead and in the tomb. But he's not dead. He's risen. What's happened to the world? Is everything sad going to come untrue? Yes, it is. Because Christ is risen, everything sad is going to come untrue. The curse of sin is death. And Jesus reversed that curse by staring death in the face and then swiftly summarily defeating it. 
James 1.15 says, sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. Sin earns death. Sin always brings death and destruction in its wake. Sin always earns and deserves death. It's what it gets for its wages. But because of the resurrection, we have life over death. Romans 8.2 says that we've been set free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So let's just dwell on this gospel text some this morning, and then we'll see how worship is the appropriate response to this good news of the resurrection, that we have life instead of death. So imagine this scene. Joseph of Arimathea, this wealthy council member, has taken the body of Jesus after the crucifixion on Friday, and he's put the body in his own tomb, but because it's the Sabbath beginning Friday night, he's, he's not allowed to properly bury the body and prepare it with ointments and spices. So all day Saturday, Jesus' body is laying in the tomb while his followers observed what had to have been the worst Sabbath day of their lives. I can't imagine them in the synagogue on that Saturday praying prayers of desperation, probably really angry at God. How could you have let this happen, God? Our Messiah, the one that we have pledged our lives to, has been killed like a common criminal. How could that be? They didn't understand all the Old Testament prophecies that this had to happen to to the Messiah in order for us to have life, that he had to suffer and die. They didn't even get it when Jesus blatantly interpreted the Old Testament to them and told them he had to go through these things. In Luke 9, 22, Jesus said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. But his followers were just so pumped about all the cool things that were happening, the miracles that he was doing, and the people that were finding true life in him, that they they didn't get it. So he told them again in, in verse 44, it says, while they were all marveling in everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. It reminds me of a parent, right? <laughs> if you've ever raised children. Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they were afraid to ask him what he was talking about. They, d- they didn't want to believe that this could be true. So a, a faithful group of women, women, that had been following Jesus show up on Sunday at the empty tomb. It's the first day of the week. All four Gospels tell us that Jesus was raised on Sunday. Women, a group of women, that says something, doesn't it? The 12 apostles, sure, they're they're all guys, but they're nowhere to be found here on Sunday. It's the women who are still serving Christ even after his death. We don't have time for a whole sermon about gender roles and scripture and in our current culture, but let me just say briefly, I'm so thankful for the long and fruitful history of wise, gifted, godly women who have led Woodmont Baptist Church in various roles in, as deacons, as teachers, as 
leaders and, and greeters. We all have benefited from the legacy of these women who are called and equipped by God for those roles in the church and the men as well who are called and equipped for those roles too. I'm very grateful to be a part of a church where women are honored and, and treated as uh, co-equals with men as they are. So the women at the tomb didn't find the body. They didn't find the body, not, not of Jesus, it says in verse 3, but of the Lord Jesus. Jesus' death has in no way negated the fact that he is Lord. As we sang earlier, Jesus is still Lord over all creation. He's still sovereign. He's still the one who's on his throne in charge of everything. And he's Lord over the grave too now. Then, then two angels appeared, and the women are scared. I'm sure I would be too. And I love their message to the women. They say, why do you look for the living among the dead? See, the women had come to anoint a, a corpse. They came looking for a body, believing that Jesus had died and that he had stayed dead. So the angels call them to remember. They call them to remembrance. Remember how Jesus told you this would happen. You're in the wrong place. This is a tomb. This is where dead people are. You're in the wrong place. God is not the God of the dead. Luke 20, Jesus told a, a group of Sadducees that were asking him about the resurrection. In, in verse 38, he said, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. These women were really seeking a risen Savior, not a dead body. We'll come back to that idea in a minute. And so these ladies remembered. It says that they, they recalled what Jesus had told them about these things. So they raced back to the other disciples to tell them the good news that Jesus is alive. But they're dismissed as silly women. The male disciples hear the message of the resurrection, the greatest news they could ever hope to hear. And they dismiss it as an idle tale, it says in the ESV version. Other versions, versions say that it's uh, useless chatter. You know, women in the ancient Near East were not relied upon as witnesses. There's one Jewish historian from this time who said that women couldn't be relied upon due to their inherent giddiness and impetuosity. So, of course, God chose a group of women to give this amazingly important, infinitely good news to report to the males of what happened. I love that. Only Peter, the one who had just denied Jesus three separate times during his trials, the one who had been weeping bitterly before Jesus even went to the cross, he was so ashamed. The one who always acted impulsively and, and felt so deeply. Only Peter dared to believe that this might be true. So he runs to the, the tomb and he finds it empty and he's amazed by what he sees. You know, I imagine that Peter probably felt a, a, a sense of relief that at that very moment he realized that he might get a chance to apologize face to face to throw himself into the arms of Jesus and say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And then receive that forgiveness and that smile of his Savior who says, I forgive freely. 
The Easter story, it's so powerful, isn't it? The story we've just read changes us. It changes everything. The power of Easter is to transform us into resurrection people. Resurrection people, the kind of people who have been crucified with Christ, but then raised into a whole new kind of life. That's what baptism is all about. It's a resurrection. We now live as resurrection people. I was telling, I know John Hash has some visitors with him today. I was telling them about his baptism. When, when John came out of that water and he, he did this, and I just started crying. My son was, was right there about to be baptized as well. And I just was weeping watching John rise as a resurrection person. That's what Easter's all about. I think too often Christians live as grave people, tomb people, people who are still haunted by death and who futilely look for hope in this world only with a futile kind of faith. Resurrection people are full of the joy that comes from knowing that the tomb is empty. Resurrection people overflow with gratitude that the curse of sin and death no longer applies to them. They are free. They live lives of worship as a loving response to all that God has done for them. Okay, so how do we become more like that? How do we live into the reality of resurrection people? How do we become resurrection people who worship God with our lives? Well, I see four keys here in the text that we just read. Four things that resurrection people have that we possess that grave people don't have. First, resurrection people have different standards than the world. They know that God uses the things that are often rejected or despised in this world in order to show his greatness, in order to give us a glimpse of his perfect power and of who he is at his core. God revealed the resurrection to a group of women whose culture had relegated them to second-class citizens at best. The Apostle Paul reminds us that God always works this way, this subversive, life-changing way. 1 Corinthians 1, 25-27 says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters, that word means both, Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish. April Fool's appropriate, isn't it? God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Resurrection people have God's standards not the worldly standards for what is successful, for what is good, for what is appropriate. We look to a whole different set of standards because God uses things that are foolish to shame the wise. God is the God who shows us what what it means to be really weak because his perfect power is made perfect in our weakness. Second, resurrection people have the antidote for confusion. They're not perplexed. When the women arrive at the tomb, they're still grave people. They don't know about the resurrection. 
They're in their grave clothes. They were perplexed, verse 4 says in the text. When they didn't find a dead body, they were confused. But they were given a prescription by the angels for their confusion. They were told by the angels to remember. Remembrance is a powerful weapon against the perplexing times that we live in. I'm not talking about, you know, merely cognitively recalling something in your mind. I'm talking about a remembering in your heart. I'm talking about a reality that you know in your core and that you remember. In verse 8 in the, the Luke text, when it says the women remembered, it means something clicked. It means something deep within their hearts opened up. They received insight in that moment because they remembered. They weren't merely recalling the words of Christ. They understood them. It all made sense at that moment. In that very moment, Christ's words became words of life. The women went from grave people to resurrection people in that moment who couldn't wait to share the good news of the reality of the risen Lord with everyone that they could, they could share it with. When we find ourselves confused about our lives, which is a lot of times, if, if you're like me, it would do us well to remember the life-giving words of Jesus, our Lord. Things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Abide in me, and I will abide in you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In my Father's house are many rooms, and I go to prepare a place for you. Remembering these words in our hearts will cure our confusion. Third, resurrection, resurrection people have a living God. Living God. We are not grave people anymore. Our God is real. He's more real than this sanctuary that we're sitting in right now. He's actively involved in our world and in our lives. Every second of every minute of every day, He is working through His Holy Spirit to redeem this fallen world back unto Himself. He is the living God. He is the one who, through Jesus Christ, has defeated the grave and who lives among us now. Grave people have no hope. For grave people, their God is their own appetites. Appetites, their own fallen desires. Philippians 3 verse 19 describes these sad, confused grave people. It says their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They worship their appetites. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Earthly things die. Everything on this planet will die someday, will end. Grave people want life. We all want life, but they look in the wrong places for it. They look where you find dead people. They look to things of this world to satisfy them. Their hearts are restless because they do not rest in their creator, God. Resurrection people know where to find life. Where to find abundant life. It's not in earthly things of this world that die. It's not in a tomb. That's not where you find the living God. The living God is the source of all life. 
and he is found in the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Finally, resurrection people have an endless supply of second chances. Thank God for that. Like Peter, when we run to an empty tomb, we find that our shame, that our suffering, that our guilt will all be forgiven and taken away again as we fall into the loving embrace of our Savior. Resurrection people have unlimited opportunities for redemption, for finding the forgiveness that we desperately long for in our core that can remove our guilt and our shame forever. It's found at the cross. I love the words of the hymn that we sang earlier. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me, the hope of glory. All these resources are ours in Christ. We as resurrection people have God's standards where the weak are made strong and where the last become first. We have the antidote for confusing times that we live in, the remembrance of the promises of Jesus Christ. We have a living God who sits on his throne, reigning over heaven and earth, but who also dwells in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who is living and active in our world, moving everything according to his purposes towards redemption and the renewal of all things. And now we have the chance to be forgiven again and again and again. No matter how many mistakes you've made, no matter how far you've fallen today, maybe you come here full of shame and fear today, know that you can never go past the boundaries of God's grace. That God loves you as you are. As you come to him and embrace those realities, Jesus stands arms open, ready to forgive. When we think about all those things that we have in Christ, the resources that are ours as resurrection people, that's when we can't help but live a lifestyle of worship back unto God. We joyfully bring him the glory and the praise for the riches of grace that he's lavished on us. You know, I think Christians are often labeled as a bunch of sad or angry people who are just rule followers who are trying to keep everyone else in line and who are too concerned about anyone having fun. This shouldn't be. Resurrection people, of all people, have the best news in the world. We have the truth that our God's alive and we have, what, what, we have the cure for what ails our world. We have the solution for sin and death and suffering. The world needs resurrection people who are full of joy, who are compelled by that joy and running to share what we found with everyone else around us. So this Easter morning, let's lose the grave clothes. Let's live as resurrection people. I, know, I don't know what you're going through today. Maybe a lot of hard times. I understand that this world has fallen and we deal with sin and, and the consequences of sin. But let's live victoriously knowing the end, that God is the victor. Let's put on a garment of praise, a, a garment of joy, the clothes of resurrection people, not grave clothes. And let's worship the Lord our God in response for all that he's done for us. Let's pray. Lord our God, we're so grateful for the empty tomb. We're so grateful that you did not 
stay dead, but that you rose victoriously so that now we have no fear in life and no, no fear in death, no guilt in life, God, that we are free from shame, we're free from the suffering, knowing that you will win in the end. God, we thank you that the curse of sin has been broken by the power of Easter Sunday. Help us to live into that reality as resurrection people who joyfully bring you praise every day of our lives because you have given us true hope, true joy, true salvation because you rose from the dead. God, we thank you for the, the good news of Easter. We thank you for the hope that it brings. Now, may we run to the empty tomb, see again that you have conquered death, and then go forth into the world joyously. Not as grave people, God, but as resurrection people who have been raised into a whole new kind of life. Lord, we love you. We pray this in your high and your holy name, in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen. Today, maybe there's a decision you need to make. If, if you've never followed Christ as Lord and Savior, if you've never accepted his free gift of salvation that he offers through Jesus Christ our Lord, I would, I would ask you to come forward and talk to me about that right now during our invitation time. There's no better decision you could ever make, and Easter Sunday would be a great day to make that decision. Maybe you have not ever you know, been to church lately, and, and you realize it's time that you're, you need to be back at church, you need to be back among God's people, and you just want to make that commitment today in your heart to come back next week and the next week. Maybe you're ready to join Woodmont. Maybe you're ready to become a part of this family of faith through membership, and you've already been baptized as a believer, and, and now you're ready to just be a part of what God's doing here and say, I'm in. I want in. Whatever it is that you need to do today, don't leave this place without making that decision that you need to get right with God. We're going to sing joyful, joyful, Lord, we adore thee. Let's stand and sing loudly and joyfully.